Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 13, to the Psalm of David. Let's hear God's powerful, life-giving word. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray together. O gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified through the preaching of the word, and that we would be strengthened in the knowledge of your grace and love for us through this psalm. We ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I was born in the early 60s, at the tail end of the baby boomer generation. So you could say I was a late boomer, and some would say a late bloomer. And many things marked my generation, and it's debatable how much of that was good or not. But the music of the 60s stands out to me. When I was seven or eight, my parents made me the designated chaperone for my 17-year-old brother and his girlfriend when they would go to the Jersey Shore. So I have fond memories of tagging along with them, sitting in the back seat of my brother's tie-dyed Volkswagen Beetle, with the windows rolled down and the radio blaring, blaring the hits of the 60s, like Motown, the Supremes, Martha and the Vandals, and of course, the Beatles, the Mamas and the Papas, and Simon and Garfunkel. And it never ceases to amaze me how memories are attached to music. If I hear stop in the name of love, or my baby love, it takes me right back to the Jersey Shore, getting burnt to a crisp under the hot summer sun. And music and songs have a way of capturing are every emotion, and they put to melody 
our joys, our doubts, our fears, and our loves. And that is true of the Psalms as well, but in a greater, more profound way. These collection of divinely written songs speak truth to our hearts. They speak truth to our hearts and lives because they highlight our human experience of living in a broken world as broken people before the face of a loving, just, and holy God. And our doubts and our fears are put to melody. Our joys and our praises are put to song. And in the Psalms, sometimes our feeble questioning faith interplays with our faithful, merciful Lord. And in Psalm 13, the Psalm of David, this Psalm is no different. It's a Psalm where David sings from the absolute depths of despair and doubt but then rises up to a crescendo, to the very heights of heaven, where he sings and finds hope and strength and confidence in the Lord. Well, his doubts and despairs are echoed in the repeated question, how long, how long, in verses 1 and 2. And each repetition of the question, how long, is a revelation of a doubt or distress that he is undergoing. In verse 1, what do we see there? That he feels a sense of distance from the Lord. That God is not near to him, but that God is far away, that God is remote. And David strikes this chord in poetic terms. How long will you continually forget me, O Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? Let's consider this. How can it be that the Lord could forget David? After all, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. So how can the Lord forget? He can't. No, in verse 1, David is using a common Old Testament metaphor, the metaphor of God's forgetting. To say that God has forgotten you is to say that God has abandoned you, that he has ceased to provide protection for you, that he he, he has not rescued you. And this is even clearer when we consider the opposite of God's forgetting, which is God's remembering. When the Old Testament speaks of God's remembering someone, it means that the Lord acts to rescue or save someone from harm and to act on his promises to deliver them. For example, in Genesis 8.1, Scripture records that after 150 days of flooding, God remembered Noah and the animals on the ark. Now, it doesn't mean that the Lord was having some kind of senior moment and suddenly says, I left poor Noah on the ark, and he needs to be rescued. No, remembering means that God acts to save his people according to his promises that he has made. So Genesis 8.1 says that God remembered Noah, and what does he do? He causes the waters to subside, and he rescues Noah. 
Now, all of that is to say that the opposite of God remembering is to be forgotten by God, which means not being rescued, but to be ruined. It's the same idea in the next phrase as well, in which David says that God has hidden his face from him. In the Old Testament, to have God's face shine upon you is to receive his blessing, like in the benediction that the Lord told Aaron to give to the people which we continue to say, that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his what? Face shine upon you. To have the Lord's face shine upon you is to receive his life-giving light, to experience his peace, his grace, his mercy, to have contentment through a soundness of body, soul, and spirit. So the opposite to have God's face hidden from you is to have all of those blessings removed from you. David sings that he feels as if God has left him, that there is this rift in their relationship. And this is especially painful to David because he longs For the Lord, as he says in Psalm 27, that he longs to see the beauty of the Lord and to seek his face, to be in an intimate relationship with the Lord. And yet in this Psalm, Psalm 13, David feels as if the Lord has removed the light of his countenance from him. Now, this is how David is feeling. And again, this is David's perception not necessarily the reality of his relationship with God. As we will see later on, how could God ever forget David or hide his face from him? Well, some could say, well, maybe David wrote this song after his adultery with Bathsheba. And that is why he feels God's displeasure or his lack of presence in his life. It's because of his sin that God feels far away from David. And granted, when we sin grievously against the Lord and we grieve his spirit, we do sense distance from the Lord. But sin isn't the reason for David's sense of distance from God. Sin isn't mentioned here. No, God is, David is perplexed as to why God seems so remote. He doesn't understand why why there feels like there's this rift in the relationship because he's knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door and he perceives that the answer is no one is available to take your call right now. So what is David's situation? Why does he feel like the Lord has abandoned him? Well, in verses 2 and 4, we see the explanation for David's feeling distant with God. If verse 1 focuses on distance between David and God, verses 2 and 4 give the reasons, danger. Verse 2, he says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? And verse 4, David sings, do not let my enemy say I have prevailed against him. So David's life here is being threatened in some way. Which is why he says in verse 3, O Lord, let me not sleep the sleep of death. And because of that verse, verse 3, in which he mentions death, some think 
David's enemy is a life-threatening illness. But his situation can be anything or anyone who has been endangering his life. And in the providence of God, it's good that David's psalm is not too specific, that it's pretty much general because we can make his song our song. We can sing this song at times in our lives. We can insert ourselves and find in it our own dilemmas as we apply God's word to our lives. We can see ourselves in this Psalm 13. Because David is not specific about the danger he is in, but that he keeps it general, it speaks to any of us in any situation where our doubts and despair loom large and God seems distant. And what is the result of such a perspective? A perspective that says God seems far away because danger is close at hand. Well, the result is another D word, distress, which David sings about in verse 2. In verse 2, David sings about his mental anguish and his confusion when he says, How long will I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? So what is his state of mind in all of this? Well, it's like he's saying, Without you, Lord, without you, Lord, my mind is like a tumbleweed of conflicting, gnarled thoughts. And at night, that tumbleweed of fear and confusion while it rolls around the desert of my barren soul aimlessly. And I'm lost, Lord. I'm lost with my thoughts racing through me, driving me downward and downward. Beloved, have you ever been there? I think it's safe to say that we've all been there at one time or another, when we've had those dark nights of the soul, when we doubt God and we say, what are you doing, Lord? Where are you? How could you allow this to happen in my life? Like when you get the diagnosis and the doctor says it's stage three cancer or when you weep over the grave of your child, or when your spouse of 30 years says, I'm leaving you, or even worse, when you lose your spouse to death, or your loved one gets dementia and forgets who you are. And what is your response? Doubt, fear, or anger grip your heart, And you cry out, where are you, Lord? What do you do in those moments? What did David do? Even in his doubt and distress, he still, he still turned to the Lord and he prays. Even with all of his challenges and his struggles that could turn him away from the Lord, He turns to the Lord in faith and in prayer. And this only shows the reality of the Lord 
and the reality of the relationship that they had. For as David's faith was really gone, or if the Lord was not really there for him, then why would he even bother to pray at all? But he prays, O Lord, bring light to my eyes. In other words, shine your light upon me that I might have light. Bring me life, Lord. Rescue me. Because if I go down to the grave, what will my enemies do? They will gloat over my defeat and they will say God's arms are too short to save him. He prays, enlighten my eyes. Bring the light of your word to my dark doubts. Or as Paul prays, similarly in Philippians 1, 18, so David prays as well. Paul prays that the eyes of my understanding would be enlightened to know the hope of my salvation I have in you and the riches of the glory I have in you. So he prays. And as he prays, his perspective changes. His vision is drawn upward to heaven. And he regains his confidence in the Lord. So it's not so much that God had forgotten David, but rather David had forgotten God. He had forgotten his character and his commitment to David. And in forgetting God, his situation seemed greater than the Lord. So what did David do? He did what Paul instructs us to do in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Take a moment to turn there to Philippians 4, 4 through 7 as I read. Paul writes in Philippians 4, Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I once was talking to a younger Christian man. Well, most Christian men are younger than me anyway. But I was once talking to a younger Christian man who was struggling with deep-seated anxiety. And he was always waiting for the shoe to drop, for the floor to cave in, He was always expecting the worst to happen. And so we turned to Philippians 4 about dealing with his anxiety. And I said to him, you know, it's it's instructive here that Paul says that when we're anxious to pray, and notice here what it says, that our prayer, we are to pray when we're anxious, and notice that our prayer includes Thanksgiving. Now, isn't that significant? Isn't it significant that we lift up our petitions along with Thanksgiving? How does offering Thanksgiving help ease anxiety? 
Well, I think it's because in giving thanksgiving to the Lord, we can't help but recall all of the ways that he has shown himself to be faithful and merciful and the ways that he has demonstrated his steadfast love. And so I encouraged this young man to write down all the ways that the Lord has shown himself to be faithful to him throughout his life. And I said to him, I would imagine that as you remember the Lord's steadfast love to you in the past, those fears of the future may dissipate because you will be remembering the character and the commitment of the Lord. And we see this principle lived right out in David's psalm. Going back to Psalm 13 and verses 5 and 6, where David, having prayed and reorienting his perspective, he, David says emphatically, but I, I trust in your steadfast mercy, and I trust in your salvation. And he trusts in the Lord so greatly, he trusts in a salvation yet to be as if it were already happened. So what happened in David's heart and mind? Well, David prayed, and in praying, he was reminded of the steadfast love of the Lord towards him. For what did David know to be true? And what had he experienced in the the past? Well, he knew God's covenant promises were true, the covenant promise made to his forefather Abraham, in which the Lord said that through Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that promise unfolded and expanded with the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, to whom he promised that he would be their God and they would be his people and that he would dwell with them. And that covenant of God's grace then unfolded even more to David personally, where the Lord said to David that you will be a king over my people and you will have an eternal kingdom as through your seed would come the Savior. And not only did David have these promises of God's covenant through his covenant of grace, he also had his protection. He had seen God faithfully protect him in battles with beasts, with Goliath, and with mad King Saul. So indeed, indeed, David could sing with his whole heart in verse 6 that God had dealt bountifully with him. And what did he realize? Well, he realized the same thing that we realize that God has been faithful to us in the past, correct? And God does not change, right? So if God, who is the same unchanging God, was faithful in the past, will he not be faithful now to us? Yes, God's past faithfulness brings present confidence in times of doubt. And what do we see in David's experience? That prayer, prayer is the conduit to a growing faith that rests in God's great faithfulness to us. And so, beloved, I ask you, 
Where have you seen God's great faithfulness in your life? For has he not also dealt bountifully with us as he did with David? Hasn't he given us salvation? The greatest gift of all, which we were totally undeserving of, that not one of us deserved any merit at all of his salvation or grace, that we were in any way deserving of a relationship with a holy God. For what were we like? We were a poem poorly written, We are verses out of rhythm, couplets out of rhyme in syncopated time. We are a broken people in rebellion against a holy, just God, where his shall nots are our shall must, and our shall do's are his shall nots. And we have transgressed against a holy God in thought, word, and deed. And by his divine justice and by his holy character, he should cast us aside for all eternity. And he would be absolutely just in doing so. And yet, beloved, as Dr. Walker preached this morning, our just, holy God wanted us to share in the communion of relationship that he has within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wanted to restore that lost relationship that was broken by our sin so that we could experience something of the communion that he has within himself as a triune God. And so he sought after us. He sought after us when we were his enemies. And he did for us what we could not do, that he paid the justice that we deserve so that we could be free from all, all condemnation and sin and shame. And the Lord accomplished this through a tremendous cost. He spared no cost at all to give us eternal life where he gave us his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, who took on our humanity. And he lived a sinless life in order to pay the ultimate price for all of our sin, dying on the cross as our substitute, so that all who trust in Christ alone for their salvation will have that gift of eternal life. Has the Lord not provided bountifully for you and for me, beloved? And if that were not enough, if our salvation were not enough, this new relationship that we have with the eternal God, if that were not enough, he sanctifies us. And he continues to sanctify us through the power of his word and through his spirit who abides in us so that we become more and more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that were not enough, hasn't the Lord faithfully supplied all of our needs And we have the promises of his word that his grace is sufficient 
for each and every day, and that he is working all things out for our glory, for our, for our good, and for his glory, and that he is always with us, and that he will never leave us nor forsake us, so that he is with us when trials and travails come. So, beloved, how can we doubt God's presence? How can we doubt so great a God who has blessed us so bountifully by saving us, by sanctifying us, and supplying for us our daily needs? Beloved, in these dark days of doubt, may we be like David, who in his doubt and despair turned to prayer. And he sang a song of God's saving grace that lifts our eyes to heaven where we recall all of God's past blessings so that his past great faithfulness brings us confidence for a new day and a bright hope. Pray with me. O gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you that in the worst distress that we could ever imagine, that we would be separated you from you, from your light, from your countenance, from your goodness, for, from your grace for all eternity. You sought to save us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your marvelous, wonderful grace that you did not leave us in our sins, but that you sent your Son to die in our place. And in doing so, you have established this new relationship with us in which we can cry out to you, Abba, Father, and you love, you love your sons and daughters. And you care for us moment by moment. And you walk with us through our trials and tribulations. So we give you praise and thanks for what you have done. And Lord, in our times of doubt, Lord, may you shine your light upon us. May your word come to mind. May we remember your past faithfulness to us so that we can have confidence in each and every day, knowing that you lovingly care for us and are working all things out according to your purposes for our good. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.